When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to a mailbag episode. I'm, of course, Samson Folk, answering all the questions that were asked of me right before we get into it, which will be quickly a quick note. Thank you to everybody who writes in. Thank you to everybody who reads, who listens, all that kind of stuff. And it is important to say that the easiest way to support myself and Raptors Republic so that we can be a resource for the writing community covering basketball community in Toronto is to subscribe over at the website. You will get all of my written work, some extra draft stuff, Lewis Sassman's written work, among other things. That is the giant pull. It helps support us and it keeps Raptors Republic independent. All that good stuff. Okay, we're doing a mailbag now. So here we go. We'll start off hot from Yoda Raptor. Quote, why do Raptors fans hate their own team so much? Honest question. So this is multivariate, I would say. The one that is fairly obvious is that Masai Ujiri said he didn't like watching the team this year. The Raptors were a tough watch in terms of play style. They were a little bit more, I would say, inconsistent than a lot of teams that had a similar record to them. And also the fact that they were winning low leverage minutes by a lot to get into games and then once again losing high leverage minutes again, that made them a very frustrating team to watch. That They were winning a lot of minutes when the games didn't matter that much, and then once it got tight, you're losing again. Uh, a stagnant offense, an inconsistent defense, all of this makes for a super frustrating team. Another aspect of it is that if any team in any sport ever wins a championship, you're going to have quite a few fans that latch onto the team after that, whether it's because they weren't really feeling it beforehand, but they like the success, it's more fun to cheer for high stakes basketball in the playoffs or, or good basketball, or if it's that they got introduced to the team because of the success and because, you know, that's their first taste of basketball. Uh, there's a lot of people who they got their first taste of Raptors basketball when it was really good. And now that it's been kind of a couple down seasons and it hasn't been going that well, um, they're more frustrated with it. And they haven't been, I, I would say, they haven't been exposed to the ups and downs of cheering for a Toronto Raptors basketball team. And, and the Raptors were good, very good for a very long time, even if it didn't always result in a championship, only that one time. Uh, all those things combined for a, a very, I guess, frustrating experience for a, a certain percentage of the fan base. I would also say that coverage of players and the way that they're consumed, the product has gotten a little bit more negative over time. I think everybody who has observed or read about the effects of social media, algorithms, a lot of things trend towards hatefulness, um, distaste. Uh, the NBA is not able to avoid that, especially bringing in a lot of external negative things like a lot of gambling a lot of the media is kind of focused around being negative towards players. It's you win or you're a bum, fraud, 
everything like that. And social media, even just on a singular user base, the quickest way to get attention online is to be extremely negative. Um, you'll do better if you're also funny while being negative, but basically the internet makes it so that negative, 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 negative. And when this is kind of the conversation that's had around a team um, that's not competing at the level that people want, uh, it's going to exacerbate things. I think that's mostly how it is. Um, for my part, I try and obviously have humanizing conversations about the players. I try to discuss them in a respectful way, and I really try and stay away from the dehumanizing aspect. But as far as the world at large consuming the NBA, you're not going to be able to get around that. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at. The Raptors can certainly help themselves out a little bit by playing a more consistent brand of defense and playing a more pass-heavy type of offense and incorporating a couple more shooters into the mix for a more harmonious offensive style. And uh, until they do, there's always going to be a certain sect of the fan base that's going to be very upset a lot of the time. Okay, this one is from Caitlin Cooper, C2 underscore Cooper, the best writer in the game. Subscribe to our Patreon, of course. She asks... What's your favorite type of screen in basketball and why? My response, my computer screen when I'm reading Caitlin Cooper basketball columns, of course. But on a more serious note, when I started playing NBA 2K, I always really liked running floppy screens. And floppy screens are cool because it's kind of, you know, it's a choose your own adventure thing. It's like, are you going strong side? Are you going weak side? You know, are you going to take the two screens, the one, you know, how are you going to really try and walk through it? And also that it, it brings in screen craft for the guy coming off the screen. Are you going to curl? You want to come off of it. it. You know, is the defense trying to shoot the gap on the curl? Do you back it up and then open yourself up for a jump shot that way? Is the guy in lock and trail and then you start curling around? It's There's a million different ways to handle it. And it's it was one of the first screens that I became familiar with as a kid. And then I think now the flare screen is probably my favorite because it it kind of incorporates that quarterback in football or you know the through ball in soccer also known as football is that you're playing a guy into space and I've always loved that aspect of the flare screen it's like this guy can come open for a jump shot or provided on how the defense is playing him can kind of you know push the ball downhill and get to the bucket and and the shot preparation while you're kind of letting the ball come to you in space and and tracking it down and and just the ability of the guys on the passing end to play them into space i've always loved that interplay of flare screen so so i think that's my favorite screen now and i've always enjoyed it because it, it allows guys to play in space and it especially can be unlocked if you have you know a, a good trigger man to put that ball in the right space and to also you know you can depending on what the trigger man knows of the defensive tendencies, you can play a guy into a driving lane or you can play them into an open spot above the break, typically for a three. I love flare screens, so those would be my favorite. From Jonathan Chen, who is a fantastic Canadian basketball writer, what is the fist basketball action referring to? So you know what fist looks like. I, I suspect you're asking for like the etymology. I really don't know. I assume it's because, you know, fist... You know, coming up the court, that's typically what the action looks like. But uh, I really couldn't tell you where it comes from. I don't know the etymology of it. You know, like Spain is, you know, the Spanish national team, Scariolo Hammer. You know, Richard Jefferson talked about this when everybody was acting like LeBron James had read a play from five years ago when in reality every team runs, you know, Hammer screens, but it's named after Darvin Ham. 
because of the passes he used to make while going out of bounds. But uh, I don't know the etymology of it. And I tried looking it up, but I couldn't figure anything out. The closest thing it gave me was that people would signal for a fist, but that's obviously just like a scream. So my apologies. Okay, from Mo Square, quote, if they decide to run it back but can only keep Fred and Jakob, who are some potential flyers for replicating some slash most of Gary Trent Jr.'s value in unrestricted free agency? I'm thinking Noel, but I don't know. Noel is a good one. Uh, people who listen to this podcast know I've been beating that drum for some time. He obviously didn't have the efficiency from downtown this season that he did last, but I'm still very high on his movement overall, his ability to kind of use his handle to get him self places. He has really good burst. He has long strides in the lane. He's a very interesting combo. I like his game a lot. But if you're looking at the mid-level exception, uh, you're getting probably probably a worse player than Gary and you know there's a guy like Jordan Clarkson who is also hitting the free agent market but he's going to be way priced out of the Raptors range I suspect Um, guys like Josh Richardson maybe will be a mid-level exception guy Seth Curry Lonnie Walker there's you know I know that Lonnie Walker is very popular in the Raptors fan base as he should be I like his game a lot maybe the Raptors will do the you know they missed out on Malik after he took the one year in LA and then moved on the Raptors perhaps could try and do the same thing with Lonnie except it won't be Sacramento this time who knows uh also I guess there's like Seth Curry uh Damian Lee as far as unrestricted free agent guards coming up that's about that's like the upper tier of guys that the Raptors could kind of look for in the mid-level exception area and I think a lot of those guys there's like a piecemeal aspect to it I don't think you know, Lonnie Walker is more explosive. He'll give you more of a punch at the rim, probably. Um, he'll give you better defense from time to time. I know some people are low on his defense. I get it. Damian Lee, I think, has been like a respectable shooter. Percentage-wise, has been in the same area as Gary Trent Jr., albeit with less diversity to it and less difficulty, I think. Josh Richardson maybe is kind of... I, I don't know. He, he's been on a little bit of a decline. He's been in the league for some time now. It's tough to say with him. But I think Seth Curry, as far as the shot making and the willingness to like move through an offense to help drag players out of spaces, to create use his gravity, to create spacing, and to, to hit shots as well, I think that would be a really fun guy. But also, you know, the defense is going to probably hurt a little bit. But yeah. It's not a, the Gary replacements are not sexy. Neither is the idea of going into the second apron of the luxury tax to pay everybody. So we're looking at a team that's maybe in between a rock and a hard place. From Abdel underscore Taco. Abdel, I like you. You're a good guy. Big fan. Quote, do you see any similarities or things Scotty can emulate from Jimmy in the postseason? Different obviously players but there's a strength plus manipulating timing of the gather release thing jimmy does i see in scani's weird flip slash hook shots after bullying his way into the lane so there's some stuff obviously but scotty you know like even even jimmy i think his second last bucket on grant williams in game two was a one-handed push shot but it was from 14 feet jimmy's range for these like bump swivel rise jumpers extends on average probably like six feet to eight feet farther than Scotty's. And this also means that he's a lot, it's a lot easier for him to find his own shot. And it's a lot easier for him to be able to do it in a short amount of time because bumping a guy into these, you know, 
awkward gather situations. While it's good, you do need time on the clock to get as deep as Scotty likes to get. And that means that Scotty is obviously not at this point in time going to be as good as a, you know, the end of clock release valve is as Jimmy is. And also Jimmy is just, he is so elite at maintaining balance. Scotty, I see he gets people off balance with that first one. But as far as like taking that jump stop into the lane, bumping, swiveling, creating stuff, he's not comfortable in the lane like that. And part of it is that he's susceptible to digs and the dribble isn't as tight as Jimmy's. So can he do that? I think it's possible. Is that the most natural progression of his? I'm not sure. I don't think it'll look like Jimmy, but as far as using strength and like offbeat creation to kind of feed end of shot clock scoring, that's something we see him do already. I understand why the comp goes there, but he needs a lot of skill progression to get to where Jimmy is. Um, I would expect it to manifest a little bit differently than Jimmy, but Jimmy's Jimmy's the best, obviously. From Hoop Goose. I like you too, Goose. Quote, what are your thoughts on Precious and Scotty as a front court duo, both in terms of what we've seen and how they fit going forward? Okay, so I just grabbed some quick uh, data. So they played under 40 possessions with Precious as the center and Scotty as the power forward. This season, it uh, they allowed 81 points per 100 possessions, which is insanely good. But this is under 40 possessions, keep in mind. The offense was terrible, 97 points per 100 possessions. I do think that it's possible but skill progression is kind of this is this the thing about having young guys you don't really know how they fit when they're they have burgeoning skills in a lot of different areas like precious his offensive toolkit could be quite vast or it could be quite limited right now and very a large part of the season we saw it is quite limited and when he had his best run it was when it was limited but with a catch and shoot shot. And then, you know, it's that pump and go stuff that he opened up a lot of driving lanes. He was punching on dudes' heads. We need to see next season offensively if it's tenable. Defensively, the Raptors can certainly play that style for minutes at a time. I don't know what the rotation will look like next season with Jakob and Pascal and Scotty and Precious and maybe Otto Porter Jr. plays the four at times. Like, I don't know if moves are going to be made, but that front court and with Coloco as well, too, that front court is going to be tight. Very uh, there's not a lot of room to like work minutes around. There's also not a lot of room to you know work. There's not a lot of spacing. So you need somebody to kind of step up and make shots. One would hope that that's precious because precious has, you know, uncommon strength for his size. It allows him to probably, you know, you could get like. 16, 20 minutes a game of him holding his own against some of the more physical centers in the NBA. And it's always going to be something that the Raptors do collectively. If Precious is at the five, you'd need OG and Scotty helping out a lot, all this kind of stuff. But Precious can hold his own defensively, especially as the low man, especially in pick and roll coverages. But it's tough to know if that offense is going to be tenable. That's probably the most important thing. And if Precious gets that jump shot going, then I think a lot of stuff opens up. It is a swing skill, definitely offensively, um, because the Raptors just don't have the spacing to allow their wings to freewheel that, you know, we saw it at the end of the 2021-2022 season. There was a lot of freewheeling. And a lot of that was that there was 
a semblance of shooting. And even as Gary and Fred kind of struggled to shoot the ball down the stretch, they still provided spacing because they had the reputation. And Precious was a guy who started drawing closeouts and Pascal was so good to finish the season. And Scotty was starting to emerge and was having a better defensive year. And all that stuff kind of coalesced into a more like an easier offensive environment to thrive in. With Jakob, there's no hope for any type of shooting bump there. He's he's obviously a super positive player. He adds a lot, but there's no hope for that. So, you know, it's, it's probably on Precious to shoot the ball and Scotty, you know, to work on becoming more of an initiator, but skill progression has to come a long way for that too. So defensively, I think they fit quite well. And especially in these transitional lineups, I think that, you know, Precious, by the time he's on his second contract and all this kind of stuff, I think can be a very, very affecting defender. And I think Scotty, you would hope, would be too, that their length, they can do pretty well against other front courts, especially since you never know how many teams in the league are going to have a a really good center. You, You hope that you would have one on your team. But if the Raptors in their transitional lineups are kind of beating up on bench bigs with those guys, um, pretty great. If Precious can shoot the ball, you might be able to, there might be some version of the post Jakob Pertle Raptors where Precious and Scotty are the starting front court and it, and it makes sense. I think there's potential for it for sure. From Cole Peer, quote, has your perceived ceiling of Scotty been raised or lowered since this time last year in his rookie season? Higher trajectory, rookie season weaknesses, becoming consistent sophomore strengths, or notable leap at an existing plus, lower equals this weakness might just be innate, end quote. Um, I think that I had a different response to Scotty than a lot of people did. And I watched, I may have watched more Scotty than anybody who isn't a professional Scotty person. You know, it's just, I've seen a lot of his possessions and written about them. I think a lot of people misunderstood that Scotty's points, rebounds, assists, while they emulated, you know, in the box score, it seemed like this is a guy who will take the steps as an initiator. The reality of his game was that he was doing a lot of the stuff in the in-between and playing off of other players and being a guy who gets out in transition, who makes a killing on cuts and is, you know, a demon on the offensive glass. And sometimes we'll give you these isolation buckets, but as far as manipulating out of the pick and roll and consistently getting a defense to turn and change and manipulate, it's just that wasn't present in his rookie season. So I had no expectation of that being there in his sophomore season. And then it wasn't. And when that wasn't there for him, a lot of people I think were like, well, damn, I thought he was going to make that leap. He wasn't close to making that leap. And I didn't expect it from season one to season two. I, I still think Scotty's ceiling is as high as I thought it was in his rookie season. Some things like the defense was in a little bit of a difficult spot. He had to manage through ankle injuries. A bunch of stuff happened to Scotty and, and just like not a good culture. And, you know, whether he played a part, whether, you know, some guys had a tough time reining him in, you know, there's contentious stuff going on in the locker room from a few different areas. Um, it's not ideal for his growth. That's something you hope is nipped in the bud you know, next season. But no, I I think Scotty is still well on his way to being an all-star level player and a very unique one at that. A guy who eventually will be a plus on defense, I hope, and a guy who is one of the best passers in the world. And it's about having guys who are willing to cut for those passes, having the coach to run those actions to, you know, allow to leverage that, that passing talent and 
having the space and the gravity to kind of make all that kind of stuff work. But I, I think his ceiling is still very high. Here's a good one. This one is from Get Fred a Floater. Why were you so convinced that the Raptors would make the playoffs after the Pirtle trade? Did you believe helping fix the center position would be that big of a swing? End quote. So really great, great question because I was, well, right after the Pirtle trade, when I made my initial video, I, I think my big takeaway was that the Raptors went for it. They might not be good enough to justify this trade. Then they won some pretty convincing games. They had, I think, the fourth best defensive rating after they traded for Pirtle. The offense with a lot more Fred pick and roll with Pirtle and finding success was closer to a top 10 offense. They were 15 and 11. I think a lot of people saw games, them lose games against, you know, shorthanded Boston, shorthand Milwaukee, all, all these different types of games where it's like, damn, I can't believe they lost that one. The one against the Jazz. The Raptors were certainly inches away from having a record good enough to be in the playoffs. I thought that the indicators of a top five defense, I thought that a near top 10 offense in that stretch, I thought they were going to be there. I, I certainly did. Now, that doesn't mean that they were going to be there and, and win a first round. I don't think I said that. But what I what I did think was that they were going to be there and why they weren't and and by the way, did I believe helping fix the center position would be that big of a swing? By the numbers, it was a massive swing. They demolished people, teams, in Jakob's minutes. It was a huge change for the team, and it, it was a huge benefit for them winning minutes. But you were up 19 in a play-in game. You lose. You're up by big numbers in these other games. Leading up to that, you lose. They just the locker room the vibes the overall overall lack of intention and commitment from the team caught up to them they have the skill the talent to be a playoff team in the east um the east is pretty deep at this point but uh i think people were surprised they didn't make it they had a lot of the indicators so that's why i believed it did i end up being wrong absolutely they they just failed down the stretch but good question and like this is as an analyst, me, uh, I hope people ask questions like this, like, why did you think this when this ended up being wrong? I hope people ask that of me all the time, forever. Okay, this one is from Carl Ribeiro, quote, if we're looking for a future cornerstone point guard, what should we value more with our system? A, elite scoring and shooting, i.e. scoot, and B, elite defense, athleticism slash passing, i.e. amen, and then an, an addendum. I reference scoot based on potential, understand he is not an elite shooter now. I would rather have the elite scoring and shooting. Now, elite defense, athleticism, passing. There's a guy on the Celtics right now who is a very underrated passer, is a unique type of athlete, and is certainly an elite defender. And that is Marcus Smart. And he is a cornerstone of what they do, truly. But they can't just make it work with Marcus Smart alone. It's very important that he's able to work off of elite scoring. The Raptors have a bunch of guys who were asked to up their scoring impact because there wasn't that on the roster. And in doing so, they lost a little bit of that defensive punch. And I think if you had an elite scoring and shooting presence on the roster, not only would it simplify things offensively in terms of a lot of the actions you run would have more punch to them, would be more dangerous. And, and, you know, if the Raptors had a point guard 
who could put the ball down in a pick and roll and go dunk on somebody or go against a dropping big and kind of get in air, maneuver around them and beat them to the glass, that would be incredible. And if they could shoot as well, you're going to create a lot of change in the defense that opens up in rhythm shots for other players. That's how you get players who maybe they're shooting 34% from three. If they get a lot of in rhythm shots against twisted up and, and moving defenses, maybe that's like 38% for a year. And that happens across a roster. That's a big deal. Those players are really hard to get though. And they're super valuable. But I think based on the Raptors right now, certainly that's, that's what you would want. Now, Maybe there's a some sort of construct in a team somewhere where elite defense, athleticism, and passing is more valuable. But I think for the Raptors, a future cornerstone, that's what I would want. And and just on average, I would rather have elite scoring and shooting. From Tree Point Play, quote, true or false, the Raptors are running this whole thing back with the 13th pick replacing Gary. Hmm. I think that's going to end up being true. Now, I... I've gotten feedback and like strange feedback that if you talk, I don't know what the Raptors are going to do. First of all, if I talk about it in a, I don't know, like a, a hypothetical situation where I say, what happens if they bring everybody back? I'm not fooling the audience. I'm just talking about like, this is the static. If they bring everyone back, this is the case. I've had weird negative feedback about that in the past. I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm, you know, you would think the Raptors are bringing some guys back, at least. I think it's possible that it just ends up being Fred and Jakob are re-signed. Maybe Gary walks. Maybe maybe there's like a sign-in trade. I don't know. But I think, yeah, that's probably... I could see that being an outcome for this, this upcoming season. And then from Fan22Raps, quote, what would the Raptors offense look like with a rookie guard inserted into the starting lineup, i.e. Kobe Bufkin, Jason Wallace? I, it would look a lot worse. I That doesn't mean I don't expect Kobe Bufkin or, or Wallace to be, you know, maybe one of them can start having years at some point in their career that are better than the years Fred is having now. Maybe they're more than a one-time all-star point guard. Who knows? But a rookie guard? Yeah, it would look bad, especially given that neither of these guys is, you know, they they are interesting players. And certainly you would expect with developments to end up being very good players and you would hope or, or good players. But popping one of those guys in, the offense is going to really struggle. The defense is going to really struggle. I think that would be the Raptors would lose a lot of games because of that guard play. Even just like above average guard play really helps things in the NBA. Um, this one from Other Zion. What type of plays or actions would you hope the new Raptors coach runs that Nurse wasn't running? Is there a team slash philosophy you would like them to copy slash riff off of? This is a good question because there's a lot of overlap in the NBA. And even though the Raptors are less successful running a lot of these actions, they do run a lot of similar actions to other teams in the NBA. Um, there's not a ton of diversity. Some teams operate from a different uh, focal point or hub. Like the, the Kings are a pretty unique team. And they had, I guess, technically the best offense of all time, even though I don't think that their offense was as good relative to league average as the Warriors were, for example. But they have the highest offensive rating of all time. With Sabonis as the hub, with you know De'Aaron Fox as this rim pressure guard who can counter, counter, counter anything, who gets into unique spaces and is fantastic. They have guys like 
Herter and Malik Monk and Keegan Murray and, you know, Trey Lyles having like, a, you know, a bunch of good games. They, they get a bunch of stuff. And also the, the Heat are also a pretty unique team in the way that they structure around Bam Adebayo. And then, you know, they're, they're not afraid to get Jimmy going and then use Jimmy as a, a decoy for screening and trust guys like Gabe Vincent and Martin and Robinson to kind of isolate in these two-on-two situations on, on the empty sides of the floor. Like, that's pretty unique, and they get a lot out of those guys. But the... I think the Raptors, just because of the makeup of the roster, they don't really get to emulate another team offensively. What they can try and emulate is a bit more effort, I would say. I I understand why Nick Nurse moved away from some of the more complex actions. And it's because the Raptors, a lot of their guys don't run through things with conviction or purpose. And so it, it just sells out the action. You won't occupy the weak side. You can't change the defense at all with any of your off-ball actions. It means that the defense always gets to load up on the primary action, and it means that they get to flatten a lot of stuff out, and they get to move the ball into these places where the Raptors go into isolation. And maybe there was a bit more creativity needed from Nick Nurse, especially in who he's using on ball and who he trusts with certain possessions. But as far as what he's drawing up, I guess like blade action, I think that with Jakob Pertl, the Raptors can now draw a tag and they can run more blade action, which I think would be really fun for Pascal or OG and especially OG since he's situated in the corner a lot. But I, I've been talking about blade for some time. For what it's worth, I talked about this in a mailbag last year, I think. Um, so yeah, food for thought. But the Raptors, they need spacing and they need conviction off ball. And they didn't have either of that last season. And that was that was a big deal. I also got a question from Dames DJAG88, quote, hypothetically, let's say the Raptors bring everyone back. What type of offense do you think the Raptors should run next year if you're the coach? There's that, um, as well as from Kai on staff at Raptors Republic. Uh, do you think a more motion-based offense would be beneficial since Toronto has so many good passers slash playmakers? Believe it or not, the Raptors are a motion-based offense, as crazy as that sounds. But motion has to create a response from the defense. Otherwise, it just looks pointless. The Raptors, their motion isn't with intention. Their motion is lackadaisical. It is laissez-faire. And, you know, part of that is Nick Nurse being a guy who the players didn't like that much by the end of it, not being able to generate, like, come on, guys, let's do it. Part of that is on the the Raptors players for not moving through these actions with intention. And that that is spelled across a bunch of different things that they did. They couldn't get buy-in offensively on the off-ball stuff for for some time, and you know it's tough to navigate around that. Um, as far as like what I would like to see, I just want to see Scotty used more with uh, shooters, not as like a pick and roll option who's spaced out. But I want to see Scotty in a hub situation where he gets to. I I just want to see Scotty with the ball stationary. He can put a dribble down if he wants to, but I want to see him get like a guy to cut off him you know, up top for like a dribble handoff read if he wants. I want that to turn into like a split action. I want him to have three or four reads in three or four seconds. And maybe the Raptors can move on to something else. But I'd like that to offensive, you know, sets to start off with that more often, basically. And that stuff is a lot better when you have shooters to kind of draw and make the defense have to gamble to some degree. Here's from Blake. How do you watch film on ghost screens without getting scared? Uh, This is a good joke. Also, I'll say this. I have been scared lately, and it's the worst. This isn't basketball related whatsoever, but I saw a meme 
of somebody saying they went to a costume party dressed as the Babadook. And then I didn't ever watch the Babadook, but I looked up the Babadook on Google and I was like, damn, that thing looks scary. And then I let the curiosity get the best of me. And then I looked it up on YouTube and it was like this scene of all the scary Babadook things. And now genuinely, when I turn off the lights, sometimes I'm worried about the Babadook. It's the worst. Of course, I know there's nothing happening to me that's not real. Uh, but sometimes, you know, my little caveman brain is like, damn, what if the Babadook was hanging around? It's because I saw a meme. Isn't that the worst? It's terrible. Anyway, that's so I get scared sometimes. <laughs> um, from H World 17, love, quote, if they run it back and extend the guys, how worried are you about guys like Freddie Pascal and how they will age long term? Very worried about Fred. Fred's game should age quite well in that he's a shooter. Shooters are supposed to age well. He's asked to do very tough things. And since he's small in stature, it's tough to move him off ball. So like shooters who are 6'5", 6'6", a lot of guys as they get older, they get stronger. And they get better at kind of being a guy who can muck up the lane and, and bump and make actions a little bit grittier and tougher to move through. They, you know, they can guard a post up in a pinch and all this kind of stuff. Fred is not only short in stature, but he has a small wingspan. So he's just not really a guy who will be able to do that for a long time. And he's going to be asked to guard a lot of point of attack defenders. That makes his game seem like it's going to be a lot tougher for him to age well. And in his efforts to play the defense he wants to play, he may end up hurting his body and putting mileage on it that affects his burst on offense that, you know, creates, you know, an imbalance in his body that affects his jump shot like we saw last season. I'm not. I hope Fred is healthy. You just want guys to be healthy. You want them to stay healthy forever. But Fred, I, I'd be apprehensive to like he could definitely feel the effects of injuries. We've seen this happen with, you know, smaller guards for some time. Pascal, Pascal is such a workhorse. And even though the three-point shot hasn't come along like many people wanted it, skill progression is something that you still see growing in his game. He works like a maniac. He works like he's in the gym more than probably 95% of the NBA. It's all the time. It's nonstop. So his skill progression is going to keep getting better. He's such an easy athlete and he's he's such a smart guy defensively. Like, you know, there are a lot of gaffes made defensively this year, but I think he was just gassed. It, it, Pascal aging into a, a role where he's not asked to do as much and gets to be like this really clever guy off ball, both, you know, you know, on defense and offensively. I think there's like there's a lot of room for Pascal to age gracefully. And when he's like 33 or 34, I expect the shooting to be better than it is now, probably. He just works so hard at it. So I feel really good about Pascal aging, you know, maybe not like a max player by the end of his next contract, right? But aging and still being a very good player. Fred, you know, there's already precedent for him feeling the toll of stuff. So it's it's harder for him. I just hope health for both guys, though. From T, my dear friend, TMN underscore or four, uh, the 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 inventor of ethical basketball. In light of this Miami Heat Eastern Conference Finals run, describe your ideal sub twenty usage player. And so he's he loves Caleb Martin. That's for anybody who's listening. You know, I, I, we talk about him. 
Gil Martin has been great, but the sub 20 usage players may be a bit too like easy. So for example, like OG was 19.8 this season. I'd rather have OG than Caleb Martin. Fred Van Vliet in the finals was a 17% usage player with like 14, three and two. And you know, he shot like 40% from three and like 45% from the floor. And he had he, the stickiest point of attack in off ball defense. That's more valuable than Caleb Martin. Marcus Smart, sub-20 so far this year in the playoffs. So was Brooke Lopez. So was Andrew Wiggins. So maybe the cutoff was a bit too, giving a bit too much. A lot of the, I was poking through it with like Gabe Vincent and and Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin. A lot of those guys are around like 17% usage and under. So maybe that would have been a little bit more useful. But um, the common denominator here for all the guys I named is like exemplary, OG, Fred, Brooke, um, Andrew Wiggins, and Marcus Smart is that if you want a really great low usage player, you want to max out the aspect of basketball that doesn't revolve around usage, which is defense, because you could have zero usage and be a positive player to some degree, maybe if you were just incredibly good at defense. And so with a role player, you just need guys who defend the hell out of their position. Caleb has done quite well. I know Boston has had a lot of trouble trying to attack the Heat's um, different players who should be ripe for the picking, but just haven't been. They haven't been able to isolate and and kind of feast. Caleb, I think, can hold his own pretty well, better than some of the guys that the Celtics are trying to hunt. But he's also not at the same level as like Smart or Lopez or Wiggins or OG or that version of Fred, right? If I get to pick like a sub-20 player, it would be OG. He might be the best sub-20 player in the NBA, honestly. Like, he's incredibly good. How many sub-20 players are all-stars? I should have looked that up, but I didn't. Anyway, moving on. Caleb Martin's been great. I know that's what you want me to say. (laughs) From my guy Curly at Live by the Three. It's a fantastic podcast. Um, He's going to be on the podcast sometime soon. Um, We'll talk about players in the draft with Trey and I, I think. Says, quote, well, since I'm here in this draft, if there's an opportunity to get an additional pick, how important is it for the Raptors to do so? Uh, I guess it, it, it all depends on what is going out the other side. I think I got asked, what is it, Brooklyn or who has 21 and 22 or something like that, right? Um, 21 and 22 for 13, I think would maybe not be so bad. I can't remember who asked me about it. They DM'd me the other day and I said, like, I could see that happening if, you know, they really liked the player at 13 and the Raptors were kind of like, you know, it's kind of a from like eight to 15. This draft is kind of nebulous. A lot of the interesting guys where upside swings seem like they're actually between like 15 and 25. And the Raptors really like guy X. You know, Trey has been talking about Koulibaly and how he's, you know, going to be like a, a fantastic player. And, you know, Koulibaly is probably not a guy that you have to be at 13 to select. And maybe you get to select another guy. I'm not advocating for cool Bali, just kind of widening the conversation i don't really know it's tough to say but there's like a conceivable conceivable value um if if there's like a top 20 pick and you can trade fred van vliet for it i don't know then that that makes it like the raptors will be worse but that chooses that chooses your direction for you you know, for example, um, the I've seen different people say that OG is the guy 
who the Blazers are trying to get with the number three pick. Um, I've seen different players say that Pascal is the guy that the Blazers are trying to get with the number three pick. Packages depend, right? A lot of people bring up Simons or Sharp. And Blazers fans are like, no, they all suck. Raptors fans are like, give us the moon and more. You, you know, it's tough to kind of make sense of it, but it's tough to project trades. I don't know anybody who's ever properly projected trades. Even the people who are like, I know the Lakers are going hard for guy X. They have no idea what the makeup of the trade is going to end up looking like because you never know what other front office is like. I certainly don't. So not a super thrilling answer. My apologies, but yeah. And then just to add on to that from the Precious Avenue Night Bus, great account, great person. Don't know if whatever you identify as, you're great. Quote, what trade should Raptors entertain? Portland pick, Houston pick, Detroit pick. Will those moves signify a retool, rebuild, etc.? Yes. Um, I would want the Portland pick because I would want Scoot Henderson. If there's a chance, if Scoot falls to three and Portland's like, ah, we got a backcourt, and Portland comes calling, I'm trying to figure out how I can get Scoot in Toronto. I saw Scoot in Toronto. He was awesome. Um, I'm a believer in the young man. And so that would be the pick, not Houston or Detroit. Um, Yeah, that's how I feel about that. From Raptors Cube, who are some bench players that you think will take a next step in their game in the upcoming season? With his toe located, I'm almost certain Otto Porter Jr. takes, uh, you know, the next step. I don't know if he's like not in his game, but relative to last season because he didn't play at all. Precious, you need a step. He's technically a bench player. I mean, not even technically. He's just not cracking that starting lineup. He needs to take a step whether it's solidifying some of the big man skills, the low-hanging fruit of being a guy who finishes and kind of is able to make reads off of his driving ball handler, either as a cutter, which he has a pretty good sense of, but more importantly, as a rim roller in the pick and roll, making better contact on screens. If it's stuff like that, great. If it's the shot comes around and there's a viable catch-and-shoot avenue for him, great. If he becomes one of those, like, strange creators off the bounce from you know the bigger body great just something needs to happen probably uh as far as like malachi he's gonna be on the team probably i don't expect a lot as far as like coloco i'd expect some more jump shots next year from coloco and continued uh okay to good defense which is a big deal for a for a young big um that's that's where i think i am with it right now from Doge Jesus to quote, do you think Jokic can be corralled on the offensive end or is he truly unstoppable? I think given with the players around him, if KCP hit shots, if Jamal Murray hit shots, like Jokic will make the pass. He's not going to be, you know, over the course of a series, he's not going to be turned into a guy who turns the ball over a ton. Sure, he's going to miss some shots. The rap, the Lakers, for example, putting like a softer guy on him so that they can hang a guy, a goalie in the lane, AD, for help and so that they can help over the top with a guy like Schroeder maybe and start zoning up everywhere. Even if they do a really good job and they force Jokic to like put the ball down and spin, there's going to be a time in that possession where somebody on the defense rests. And with the Nuggets, they're all such intuitive and great cutters that it's like if you rest on your guy, there's going to be a cut available. And Jokic just doesn't miss guys. It's hard to rush him. It's hard to force him into the no progression pass, like just passing the ball back out to the guy who gave him the post entry. 
unless you help from that guy is not something that you can force Jokic to do. You're not just going to make him take time off the clock. He's going to put the ball down, get deeper in the paint so he can make a shot, or he's going to make a progressive read a lot of the time. There isn't really a guy who stops Jokic. You have to try and stop him as a team concept, and it's going to look like it's impossible, like you're down 3-0 if you're the Lakers, if the shot making on the Nuggets is where it needs to be. And that's where it has been. So... Jokic is a guy who he needs his teammates, obviously. Everybody does. But you can't stop him from making a progressive read. That is my Jokic take. And that makes you not truly unstoppable because you're still, you still rely on some of your teammates. But if you can just nonstop make progressive reads, geez, you're like one of the best players in the world. He obviously is. Um, maybe the best player in the world. So he's awesome unstoppable in some sense you can't stop them from making progressive reads from john james jones 89 quote there's a lot of talk about the spacing issues in the front court yet the starting lineup had a plus 10 net rating and other lineups including pascal scotty slash some big seem to be very effective what's the rush to break it up there is some like there's some wisdom in this right it's like you just play winning lineups and see if they work and They won it on defense is the thing. Like the Raptors won it on defense. And what was working on offense was the Fred Van Vliet, Jakob Pertl pick and roll. And none of that is tied extensively to either Pascal Siakam, your former All-NBA player, or Scotty Barnes, your extremely important piece for growth, your future star. And like that's the part that worries people, I would think. They won minutes. Certainly they did. But it's the fact that they won those minutes all together was representative of the defense and representative of the pick and roll and the fact that OG shot the hell out of the ball down the stretch. Like they can't just run it back and expect massive big numbers. And especially in transitional lineups, like it's important that your starting lineup wins minutes. But it also needs you also need your players to be cohesive and your play style to be cohesive. So you win transitional lineups so that you don't lose, you know, the 9-10 playing game and you don't randomly lose games to teams that are well below your talent level. And so you got to be able to win more minutes and not just the low leverage ones. And I I'd be interested to see if the Raptors can try and make it work with the massive amount of high level passing that those three possess, Pascal, Scotty, and Jakob in contrast to their very low-level shooting. I'd be so interested to see what that team looks like, at least just to see what it is. Um, I'm not a guy who's like, you just have to do it. But also, it's it's tough. You know, it's not the most harmonious fit. So the rush to break it up, the team has been underperforming. It didn't look, it didn't make the guys who you want to look the best, look the best. It made Jakob money. It made Fred money. It didn't help Scotty and Pascal a bunch, which a lot of people are looking for that specifically. So make of that what you will. From Edward Rogers was right. Is there any way next season isn't a complete throwaway? Yeah. I mean, if progression is made from players, like the end of the Raptors season, if Fred ends up getting traded or something this offseason and for a package that people like, that package would have been better because he played well down the stretch. And that meant that paying that first for Jakob also meant that you were paying the first to get a higher return from Fred. And they're like, it's not binary. 
you know? Like a bunch of different things are happening all at once. While sometimes it seems like it's, you know, the, the rising tide lifts all boats. When one thing is, when one really big thing is trending positively, it means you can notice all the other things that are trending positively. But, you know, Precious Achua can continue to get better. Scotty Barnes can continue to get better. All these players can continue to get better. And that means something down the road, even if the team is kind of in this not a great place to be. Um, a throwaway. Definitely not a throwaway, but are they going to accomplish the things that you want? Probably not. I mean, I'm not sure what you want, but I would, I would think they probably aren't. Maybe you want a, like an out and out rebuild. I don't know if they're going to do that. Maybe that disappoints you. Maybe you want them to be a top four seed. That might be tough to accomplish. Maybe that disappoints you. Maybe you just hate the idea of the treadmill team. Um, the treadmill team is is a difficult place to be, if you don't have any plans on improving and you don't have any guys on the roster who can improve. Do you believe in Scotty being, you know, a transformative player? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. If you don't, then you would say, well, either Pascal has to be that transformative guy. Maybe you don't believe that either. Then you would say rebuild, just get a guy who can help transform. Or maybe you, you keep building value in the guys who are like Fred and, and Pascal maybe OG, and you try and make these trades where you get a larger amount of value. It's just, there is moves to be made, I'd assume. But I don't know. A complete throwaway, no. There's always stuff going on. Who do you think is the best candidate for the Raptors head coach vacancy? Okay, this one is from Brofet or Brofet. Um, Okay, I will have a podcast with uh, the Dunker Spot, Steve Jones and, and Nikias Duncan, where we talk about coaching. I think I'll get to ask them if their boss is going to be the Raptors coach, JJ Redick. And we'll talk about coaching a whole bunch. Um, so stay tuned for that at some point in time. And uh, But I don't – it's tough. Coaching is so nebulous. I don't have a good answer for this. And this one is from my friend James. goes by Tyrese Halliburton on Twitter. Quote, what's the thing you've enjoyed most about covering the Raptors and going to every home game this past season or thing you enjoyed you didn't think you'd expect to? I think it was really cool to be able to talk to a lot of the stars of the league, not necessarily in the press conference, but in, you know, the little stolen moments that you get. I think that was cool. And to ask them about the hyper specific stuff uh, of how they warm up, getting to see their process. That was something that you guarantee you can do that when you go to a game and that's that's like a super cool thing. It's also, that was something I think I knew I would enjoy. And then something I w didn't know I would enjoy so much was uh, the camaraderie of the beat. I know the beat is kind of segregated in some way because it's like there's the, you know, legacy media and the traditional media, newspaper, like print media. They all sit in one spot in the lower bowl the kind of new kids on the block sit in the other spot in the lower bowl. Everybody's kind of split up, but hanging around with like, you know, the little bloggers and kind of getting along super well with everyone was nice. You get to know people and you get to make friends and people are better than you'd think they'd be. And they're funny and they're kind. And, you know, you get to build that camaraderie. I think that was cool. Also, something I didn't get to experience that much. I'd made trips to Toronto to work games and practices in the past, but just the fact that like pressers and covering a team 
is kind of a it's a collaborative effort because when you're going through a presser there's like energy can build in the presser and you can ask questions that don't rob the energy of it and you can build on it and a player will get a feel for what the room is asking and you can really build towards cool conversations and great answers and kind of learning that I think was um, super valuable. So I enjoyed that, you know, a ton. And honestly, I think that's all the questions. Um, that was quite a bit. I hope the answers were good. I hope you enjoyed them. They're all time stamped. So I hope it wasn't, you know, if, if you want to skip around on to what you're interested in, feel free. Um, that's no problem at all. And if you just want to listen to the whole thing and you did even better, thanks for letting me talk to you. I hope that the things I said were insightful. I hope that they were enjoyable. And um, yeah, it's always good to have people write in and ask what you think. I hope people always care about what I have to say and always want to ask questions so that I can answer them. And so, yeah, that's uh, kind of where we're at. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Make sure to remember, make sure to remember, just remember, make sure to. <laughs> um, you can subscribe over at raptorsrepublic.com. Best way to support myself, the work I do, even though obviously this mailbag, all this kind of stuff, the video and the, the audio stuff is free. Um, I'm a worker. I deserve to get paid. If you don't want to be the person who does that, that's totally okay. Continue to take in the free stuff. If you want to be the person who helps support, thank you so much. That is incredibly meaningful. I pay for the stuff I want online. I pay for the people that I want to support. And the current state of the world is that I think that's how it is going forward. If you want to see people make a living off of something, if you want them to do something that isn't overtly exploited, your own money has to go towards it. So to the people who do pay, thank you. And understand that that ethic is one that I also... I pay forward to other people as well. So hopefully we can all kind of band together to support each other. It's my earnest hope. Thanks everybody for listening in. I've been Samson Folk. Much love to everybody. Enjoy your summer. I mean, it's summer out there. We got good weather. Enjoy it. Go for long walks. Get some sun. Eat some ice cream with your pals. If you're lactose intolerant, maybe something else. I don't know. Like a popsicle, a vegan popsicle even. You know, <laughs> anyway, thanks for tuning in. Uh, much love to everybody, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>